Hello, mystery and thriller fans, and welcome to Michael Bradley's Dead Air. I'm Bridget McFadden, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. I'll be introducing you to each one of our episodes of Michael Bradley's thriller, Dead Air. Dead Air plays in Philadelphia, which happens to be where I'm from. Go birds! But that's not why I'm excited about this story. No. Dead Air is one of those unputdownable books that keeps you up all night reading or listening well past your bedtime. It's a book to live in. What is it about? Secrets. Those buried deep. But here's the thing. Three can keep a secret only if two are dead. No one knows that better than Caitlin Ash, who has been running from her childhood secret her whole life. Until now. Crowned the top radio DJ in Philadelphia, she's finally ready to settle down with her boyfriend but he knows nothing about her past. Suddenly, she receives a flood of anonymous letters that threaten her charmed life. CamCat Publishing presents Dead Air by Michael Bradley. Narrated by Rachel Fulginetti. To Simon, you were the best buddy a man could have asked for. I miss you. Rest in peace. One. She'd been found out. There was no other explanation. On any other night... Caitlin Ash would relish the breathtaking view of the Philadelphia cityscape. The twinkle of white streetlights, red, yellow, and green traffic lights, and the white and red hues from car lights on the streets below looked like a swirling starfield, constantly changing, as if at the whim of a fickle god. From the 20th floor broadcast studio, she could look down upon Center City, could see as far east as the Walt Whitman Bridge, and across the Delaware River to the distant lights of Camden, New Jersey. Yes, every other night, this view was mesmerizing. But not tonight. Tonight, Caitlin Ash trembled at the thought that someone out there knew her, knew her secret, and was making damn sure she didn't forget it. The past had come a step closer each time another letter arrived. Her fingers tightened their grasp on the latest, a crumpled paper creased with crisscrossed lines and folds. It was a cliché. The mysterious correspondences consisted of letters and phrases torn from newspapers and magazines, crudely pasted onto plain paper. Always the same message. Always the same signature. Behind her, music played softly. She turned away from the window and moved around the L-shaped counter in the middle of the room to slide onto the tall stool behind the control console. Caitlin leaned forward, glancing at the needles on the VU meters that jumped and pulsed to the music's beat. She touched one of the ten slider controls and adjusted the volume to remove some mild distortion. Caitlin watched the on-screen clock count down to the end of the current song. Fifteen seconds to go. She slid the headphones over her ears and drew the broadcast microphone to her mouth. She tapped the green button on the console and pushed the leftmost slider upward. Caitlin leaned into the microphone. Taking things back to 2005 with Lifehouse on WPLX. That was you and me going out to Jamie from Kristen, Tiffany from Steve, and to Tommy. Jackie still loves you. She glanced again at the clock in the upper corner of the computer screen. It's ten past ten. I'm Caitlin Ash with Love Songs at Ten. 888-555-WPLX is the number to get your dedication in tonight. I've got Adele lined up, as well as John Legend, on the way next. Her fingers darted over the control console, 
tapping buttons and moving sliders. Caitlin took the headphones off. As a commercial for Ambrosia, her favorite seafood restaurant in downtown Philadelphia, played, she stared at the crinkled letter that rested beside the console. She read it once again beneath the dim studio lights. Her eyes focused on the name at the bottom. The Shallows. She shivered. Who knew? And how much did they know? Caitlin slipped a green Bic lighter from her pocket, lit the edge of the letter, and pinched the corner as the flames swept up the paper. She'd stolen the lighter from Kevin O'Neill's desk. She knew the midday DJ would never miss it. He had half a dozen more where that one came from. She dropped the paper into the empty wastebasket and watched the fire dwindle into nothingness, leaving behind blackened flakes. A faint trace of smoke hung in the air, then dissipated quickly. She wrung her hands and sighed. There'd be another waiting in her station mailbox tomorrow, just like the four others that she'd received, one each day this week. She was certain of it. The flash of green lights caught her eye, and she looked down at the studio telephone. All four lines were lit up. She hesitated for a moment, then tapped the first line. WPLX, do you have a dedication? Yeah, I'd like to dedicate my weekend to kissing your body from head to toe. The smoky voice echoed through the darkened studio. Caitlin laughed and felt her face become warm with embarrassment. Prad, how goes it, babe? Having a good night? She forced a smile, trying to sound upbeat, just as she'd learned in her voiceover classes. It's not too bad. What's wrong? She cursed under her breath. She never could hide things from Brad. I got another letter today. The line was silent for a moment. Same message? She glanced at the computer, then back at the phone. Yeah, exactly the same. You should call the police. It was the same suggestion he had made a month ago, when the letters started arriving on a weekly basis. With this week's sudden volley of letters, he had taken to repeating his advice nightly. Caitlin had shrugged it off as just some crank. You get those in this business, she'd told him. Still no idea who sends these letters? Or what they are about? She hesitated for a second before replying. No idea, she lied. You need to tell someone, if not the police, at least tell Scott. Caitlin frowned at his remark. The last thing she wanted to do was tell her program director, Scott McKay, about the letters. His overly protective nature would mean police involvement for certain. I can't tell Scott. He'd place an armed guard on the studio door. Brad laughed. Would that be so bad? There's no point. It's probably some infatuated teenager. She knew how ridiculous the words sounded, even as they escaped her lips. No teenage listener would know about the shallows. Do me a favor. Watch yourself tonight when you go home. The concern in his voice was evident. If she asked, he'd be there in a moment to escort her home. But she couldn't do that to him not without revealing something she'd worked so hard to bury in her own past. Caitlin said, I will. Promise. How's the rest of the night going? It's been crazy. Lots of lovers out there tonight. I can't even get them all in. Just not enough time. I wouldn't expect any less from the most listened-to night show in Philly. With a glance at the computer screen, Caitlin noted where she was in the commercial break and then turned back toward the phone. What are you up to, sweetie? Working my way through a couple briefs. I've got to have these ready for review by tomorrow. Sounds like a late night, he sighed. Probably. Caitlin sensed fatigue and frustration in his voice. She knew nothing about corporate law other than what Brad had told her. 
The reams of paperwork and bewildering legalese seemed boring and unappealing. She knew he had a lot on his plate and hated to see him work as hard as he did. A mischievous smile crossed her lips. If you want, I could slip over later tonight and help you with your briefs. Brad's chuckle echoed through the studio. <laughs> That'd be nice. Really nice. She leaned closer to the speakerphone and spoke almost in a whisper. You know you want to. She added a sensual emphasis to each word. It'll make you feel good. That's not fair. He paused, then asked, Can I take a rain check? I need to get these done. Caitlin glanced again at the computer and reached for her headphones. Hang on. Her fingers clicked on the microphone, and out of the commercial break, she gave a quick weather forecast before starting the next song. Then she turned off the microphone and turned back to the phone. Are we still on for lunch tomorrow? Absolutely. Just you and me in a dark corner at Toscana's. Looking down at the phone, she noticed that the other three lines were still flashing. I've got to go, sweetie. Love you. Love you, too. Talk to you later. When he'd hung up, Caitlin turned to face the window and gazed out across the cityscape. The lights below seemed brighter somehow, a little more stunning than before. She sighed with deep satisfaction. There was something about Brad's voice that always relaxed her and quelled her fears. He was trusting, gentle, and loving. She was lucky to have him. For four weeks he had accepted her word that she knew nothing about the shallows or why anyone would send her these letters. Brad may have suspected that she was lying, but he never pushed her. It would all come out eventually. She couldn't go on being dishonest indefinitely. She just needed time. Time to figure out how to explain that she wasn't who she pretended to be. Caitlin turned back to the computer to check the playlist. Her gaze froze, and she frowned. Ario Speedwagon was coming up on the list. Her shoulders gave a momentary shudder. She'd loved the band for as long as she could remember. While her high school friends were listening to the likes of Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera, Caitlin had dug back a couple decades and discovered Ario Speedwagon. She loved their songs, but this particular one held a spell over her. Its impact had diminished over the years. She'd almost reached the point of being able to play it, as opposed to deleting it from the playlist whenever it showed up. Until recently, it only invoked the briefest of memories. She would twinge at the brief reminder and use the song's deletion as a way to purge herself of her past. That, however, was then. The arrival of the letters had changed everything. Now, the sheer appearance of the song frightened Caitlin, reminded her that her past was catching up. Some secrets couldn't stay hidden forever. She'd hoped the anniversary would pass unnoticed again this year. But with only three weeks to go until that date, someone was making sure that she remembered every detail. She jabbed the delete key, and a sense of relief washed over her as the song vanished from the screen. Breathing slow and deep, she allowed her uneasiness to subside. Then, she leaned toward the phone and clicked the next blinking line. WPLX, do you have a dedication? When the elevator doors opened, Caitlin stepped out into the building's attached parking garage. An hour's worth of commercial voiceover work had been waiting for her when she went off the air at midnight. It took longer than usual for her to plow through it. She was too distracted, making too many mistakes, leading to far more retakes than was her norm. On her way out, she'd stopped by the studio to tell Justin Case, the overnight personality, that she was leaving. They talked for another hour. 
Between station IDs and weather forecasts, Justin showed her pictures of his latest girlfriend, his third this year, and explained how they met. Caitlin suggested a couple places he could take her. Longwood Gardens, the art museum. Justin shrugged them off, saying the girl was more into the unusual and bizarre. Caitlin rolled her eyes and laughed. Then try the Mütter Museum. That should be bizarre enough for her. Then she said her farewells and left, imagining Justin and his new girl finding romance amidst anatomically correct wax figures, glass cases full of pathology specimens, and ancient medical equipment fit for a steampunk horror movie. Pausing by the elevator doors for a moment, she scanned the empty parking garage, just as she'd done every other night for the past four weeks. The night air was crisp on her face, and she caught the faint whiff of the city. It was a mix of odors almost unique to Philadelphia, bitter and often pungent. She shivered in the chilled air, and an unwanted memory flashed through her mind. Back then, on that fateful night, the air had been brisk as well. She didn't see anyone around, but couldn't shake the sense that she was being watched. For a while, she had chalked it up to paranoia induced by the letters, but their increased recurrence left her more anxious every day. Her fingers gripped a little more tightly on the pepper spray canister on her keychain. Caitlin gave the parking garage one more inspection. No one was in sight, and no sound came, other than the hum of a nearby flickering fluorescent light. She strode toward her motorcycle. Her boot heels echoed throughout the empty garage. The chrome of the handlebars and exhaust pipes on the Harley-Davidson shone in the overhead lights. She smiled as her eyes glanced over the motorcycle's candy-apple-red fuel tank and fenders. She'd always wanted a Harley, even as a child. But a bike was a luxury that had eluded her until last year when she topped the Arbitron ratings as the highest-rated nighttime on-air personality in Philadelphia. Caitlin had celebrated by fulfilling her childhood dream. The promise of more spring-like temperatures for April was the catalyst she'd been waiting for to bring the motorcycle out of winter storage. Caitlin had changed the oil and washed and waxed it the previous weekend. Three days into the new week, she was re-experiencing the joy of riding she had longed for throughout the winter. She straddled the black leather seat and zipped up her tan leather jacket. As the motorcycle rumbled to life, Caitlin raced the throttle a few times, just to hear the engine's roar echo through the deserted parking garage. She got a rush every time from the engine vibrations racing from the handlebars up through her arms. She smiled and for a moment, forgot about the letters. Then, she slid a black helmet over her head and drew the visor down over her eyes. Her foot pulled the kickstand up, and revving the engine one more time, Caitlin sped down the ramp of the garage and onto the dark Philadelphia streets. Two. She looks nervous tonight, a bit more pensive than usual. Standing in the elevator's threshold, she's keeping the doors open, almost afraid to move out into the parking garage. Her reaction amuses me. No, amusing isn't the word. Ecstatic, yes, that's the word. I'm ecstatic over the reaction my letters are having on her. Ecstatic to the point of being rapturous. Rapturous? Yes. I like that. She's kept me waiting tonight longer than usual. What time is it? After 2 a.m.? Shit. I've been here five hours. Far too much time to spend in this godforsaken city. I've grown to hate it over the years. The lights, the noise smells. I hate it all. 
too many fractured memories, and an overabundance of lingering grief. I must have liked it at one time. After all, I grew up in its shadow. This city litters my childhood memories like newspapers blowing in the wind. Trips over the river to see Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. Sitting on a bench for a picture with a smelly old man, dressed like Ben Franklin. Springsteen in concert at the Old Spectrum. All memories that should bring a warmth to my heart and soul. But I feel nothing beyond anger and hate. She's tainted everything. My memories, this city, my life. Everything. God, I need a cigarette. I don't dare light up. She might see the flare of the match. Filthy habit. Not sure why I started smoking. It was something to do these past few months while I waited for her to emerge each night. There's a growing pile of discarded butts by my feet. Doesn't anyone clean up around here? She didn't play the song again. I listened all night and nothing. Why can't she take a hint? I doubt she's forgotten. I just want to hear her play it once, just once. That's all I wanted when this all began. To hear that song and know she remembers. Why won't she ever play it? How many months have I stood here watching her, night in and night out? You'd think I'd be used to it by now. But I'm still apprehensive, still jittery. Would she recognize me if she saw me? It has only been 13 years, but I've changed so much in that time. Dropped a shitload of weight. Cut off most of my hair. I'm not a goddamn kid anymore. Will she know me when we finally meet? She's on the move, crossing the garage to that bike of hers. Audacious piece of crap. Why would she ever want one of those things? Jessie would never have gone for a biker bitch. The damn thing is loud, especially in the parking garage. Its roar pierces my ears. She'll be leaving momentarily. If I want to follow her, I need to get back to the car two levels above. But I don't dare move. She mustn't see me. Not yet. Not until everything is in place. It'll be a reunion she won't forget until the day she dies. At this hour, she'll only be going to one of two places, her home or his apartment. I can catch up to her either way. The breath I've been holding escapes. I'm still trembling. I need a smoke. There's nothing like the first drag off a freshly lit cigarette. I love the way it tickles my throat. God, I need this. It's soothing and steadies my nerves. A chill hangs in the air, like the night Jessie died. Was it this cold back then, or did it just seem like that? I can't remember the details as clearly anymore. Time heals all wounds, they say. That's such a lie. The concrete is cold beneath my feet. As cold as my heart. As cold as she will be when I'm done. Just a couple more weeks. Then, it'll be time for Laura Hobson to return to the shallows. Three. Caitlin groaned when the alarm clock buzzed at 9.30 the next morning. She'd returned to her Bala Kinwood home, arriving just after 2.30. She vaguely recalled the clock, saying that it was past three when she finally made it to bed. Normally, the alarm wouldn't go off until closer to noon, but not this morning. Lunch with Brad meant her whole morning routine had to be moved up. It was one downside to working seven to midnight. Romantic meals were always relegated to lunch. 
Caitlin kicked the paisley sheets off the bed, sat up, and ran her hands through her disheveled hair. She hadn't slept well. Tattered images of her nightmare still clung to her subconscious. The dark pool of water engulfing her. Cold hands clutching at her ankles. She shook her head and tried to shake off the wisps of memory once and for all. She yawned, climbed from her king-size bed and crossed to the window on the far wall. She pulled the curtains aside and looked up at the blue sky, squinting as the Friday morning sun filled the room with a fiery yellow hue. Caitlin's gaze dropped to her front yard and the street beyond. The Volkswagen Beetle she'd seen when she came home was gone. It likely belonged to one of her neighbors. Or maybe a regular guest? It had been parked outside a couple times a week, sometimes further up the street, sometimes directly across from her house, but never in a driveway, always on the street. A gray Ford Focus pulled up along the curb near her driveway, and two elderly ladies, one African-American and the other Caucasian, emerged from the car. Dressed in their Sunday best, each carried a large tote bag, overflowing with leaflets. Jehovah's Witnesses, she thought, as they started the short trek up her driveway. Caitlin pulled the curtains closed again as the doorbell rang. She made no move to answer it. I'll have to slip out the back this morning. She walked down the hall to the bathroom. Flipping on the light, she glanced in the mirror over the sink. She ran both hands through her hair and pushed it back from her face. The dark shadows beneath her eyes looked more pronounced this morning. Just another sign that she hadn't been sleeping well over the past few weeks. Was this really her? The same person who had been walking hand in hand out there, beside the shallows? Just the two of them in the chilly evening. The innocence, the tranquility, and the love. She turned on the faucet, cupped her hands under the cold water, and splashed her face. She smiled. The green toothbrush beside her pink one made her think of Brad. How late had he been up? He'd sounded pretty exhausted on the phone last night. Hopefully he hadn't been forced to stay up too much longer after they'd hung up. She hated deceiving Brad. In their two years together, there had been no secrets between them. Except one. Her past, as far as he knew, had been as normal as anyone could hope for. No scandal, no remorse and no death. She had hoped that he'd never have to know the truth. But she couldn't keep lying about the letters forever. Back in the bedroom, she drew open the top drawer of the oak mission-style dresser to grab a sports bra. She caught a glimpse of the small box near the back and reached for it. Her hand hovered over it for a moment. She never should have kept it. With a force of will, she grabbed a bra and pushed the drawer closed. Then, Caitlin rummaged through the bottom drawer, pulling out black spandex running shorts and a pale blue tank top. She slipped a pair of Nikes onto her feet, tightened the white laces, and flexed her feet. The shoes were worn. Maybe it was time to get a new pair. She grabbed her iPhone from the dresser and slid it into the armband strapped to her right upper arm. She plugged the earbuds into the phone and crossed again to the window. The Ford Focus was still parked in the street, but there was no sign of the two women. She scooped her keys from the dresser, pausing to get a firm hold on the attached pepper spray canister. Caitlin sneezed when she stepped out into the backyard. Fresh-cut grass. She vaguely recalled hearing a lawnmower earlier in the morning. Must have been Fred getting an early start on the yard work. She sighed. She'd end up dragging grass clippings into the house on her shoes later. 
Her eyes fell upon the row of American boxwoods that she'd planted two summers ago. They still hadn't grown tall enough to block her view of the cemetery beyond. Caitlin had thought she could live with a cemetery practically in her backyard, but it was far creepier than she'd anticipated. Perhaps if she couldn't see the cemetery, it wouldn't bother her. With earbuds in her ears, Caitlin cut across the lawn and jogged off toward the nearby street. Her house, a split-level colonial with beige siding and chocolate-colored shutters, sat on the corner of Belmont Avenue and Garnet Lane. Her home was the smallest along the secluded lane. The others had more square footage, bigger yards, and better landscaping. Her neighbors were all married with children. None of this ever bothered her. She didn't mind still being single at 32. Her early career in broadcasting had kept her moving from city to city every year or so, making it difficult to develop a long-term relationship. But she'd returned to the Philadelphia area three years ago, and now she was putting down roots. Caitlin jogged along the road's shoulder and paid little attention to the passing cars and trucks. She was familiar with just about every inch of the path along this stretch of Belmont Avenue. She'd jogged the same route every morning since moving in. A few blocks down, Caitlin turned left onto East Levering Mill Road, which took her to the entrance of the Kinwood Heritage Trail. The trail, which looped around the Westminster Cemetery, would eventually bring her back around to Belmont Avenue, just north of her house. The wooded trail was a flurry of activity, far more than Caitlin expected for ten in the morning. Mothers pushing strollers, both walking and jogging, as well as retirees out for a leisurely stroll, formed a human maze through which Caitlin weaved. She smiled. The beautiful Friday morning weather must have drawn the people out. Spring was in the air, which meant the flowers were in bloom, leaves were sprouting on the trees, and the fair-weather exercisers were coming out from their winter hibernation. Her smile widened as she remembered how she'd practically had the trail to herself in the bitter cold of January and February. She continued along, absorbed in the music from her earbuds and paying little attention to what was around her. As the trail wound into the shade of the trees, the temperature dropped by a few degrees. Caitlin shivered at the sudden change. She passed a mother with two infants bundled up in a dual-seat stroller. The woman looked haggard and frustrated, as if she'd spent all her energy just to get to the park. Caitlin returned the woman's nod and half-hearted smile with a wave, then pressed on. The crowd thinned out, and Caitlin found herself alone on the trail. As she rounded a bend, she noticed a bench with a seated figure hunched forward looking at a mobile phone. Dressed in a gray hoodie, the face was covered, except for the long, flowing, chestnut-brown hair falling out from under the hood. No telling if it was a man or a woman. She tried not to pay much attention to the figure as she approached, but paranoia nagged at the back of her mind. Be aware of your surroundings, she reminded herself. When Caitlin came alongside the bench, she turned her gaze toward it. The hood tilted upward, giving her a momentary glimpse of a shadowy face. It locked onto her and seemed to follow her as she passed. Before any of it could truly register in her mind, the hood tilted down again, and Caitlin continued to jog further up the trail. Only after a few strides did she think again about the face she'd seen. She halted and turned back toward the bench. It was empty. There was no one around. Caitlin's hand trembled as she tightened her grip on the pepper spray canister. When Caitlin entered Toscana Italiano, she inhaled the tantalizing aromas of garlic, homemade tomato sauce, Italian herbs, and freshly baked breads. She drew in a deep breath, 
The upscale bistro, located in the city's arts district, was on Spruce Street. It was elegantly decorated in dark woods and crimson fabrics. The tinted plate glass windows and dim lighting created an intimate atmosphere, perfect for a romantic lunch. She scanned the restaurant and spotted Brad's smile from across the lunch crowd. As she made her way through the scattering of occupied round tables, Caitlin admired the well-dressed man who waited for her. His coal-black hair was brushed off to the right, not a single hair out of place. The chiseled jawline and tuft of hair on his chin gave Brad a rough look that Caitlin adored. He rose from his seat as she approached, moving to pull out the chair beside his. Caitlin touched the arm of his pinstripe suit jacket and kissed him on the cheek. Sorry I'm late. I only just arrived a few moments ago myself. His deep voice sounded far more relaxed than the night before. Caitlin noticed the shadows beneath his blue eyes. Were you up late last night? More like early in the morning. That Radcliffe Hesterston brief was a nightmare, he said. Took me three hours just to get through that one alone. Caitlin frowned and reached across the table, touching his hand. Probably good that I didn't come over after work. A young petite waitress in a black blouse and trousers approached the table to take their order. A salad, grilled chicken Caesar with an iced tea for Caitlin, and chicken piccata with a glass of water for Brad. Did you hear that GBT struck again last night? Brad said when the waitress stepped away. Caitlin closed her eyes and shook her head. Strangled. What a horrible way to die. Almost as bad as drowning, she thought. Heard it on the morning news. They said his latest victim put up a fight before being killed. Police found the body behind Pegasus, that nightclub at Penn's Landing. Caitlin set her fork down on her plate. I heard an announcer from Faith FM said this was God's punishment on the city for allowing homosexuality to flourish. Some religious fanatic trying to make a point. That's probably who GBT is. It's a hate crime, pure and simple. I hope they catch him soon. She took a long sip of iced tea. They fell silent. The space between them became a vast wasteland of reticence that made Caitlin feel uncomfortable. She didn't like these moments, which had become more frequent of late. How'd the rest of your show go? Brad asked, probably just as uncomfortable as Caitlin, but much better at lightening the mood. Same as it does every night. The phones rang off the hook. I'm doing the anti-dedication song tonight. It'll be even crazier. Which song are you using tonight? I took your suggestion. Love stinks. Brad nodded his head. Classic Jay Giles band. Caitlin smiled. Brad's knowledge of 80s music bordered on the obsessive. His music library was crammed with songs that even she had never heard of. She'd always considered herself to be an expert on popular music, a trait that went with the job. But Brad always had her beat when it came to music from that era. The waitress returned with their meals. As they ate, she looked across the table and smiled. He turned his gaze away from her, Caitlin shifted in her seat and studied him. There were shadows beneath his eyes, and the slouch in his shoulders was more pronounced. She felt a pang of compassion for him. Unlike her, he wasn't accustomed to working late into the evening, and she could tell just by looking at him that he wasn't tolerating his late night very well. I need a weekend away, he said suddenly. A long weekend. Are you interested? She felt a surge of excitement within her. A getaway sounded like a tremendous idea. Get away from work. Get away from the letters. She locked eyes with him and grinned. What'd you have in mind? Three days in the Poconos? Sounds nice. There's a little resort up there. Just for couples, he said between mouthfuls of his meal. We could go up on a Thursday after your show and stay through Monday. I love it. When, she said, 
I'll have to see what availability the resort has. But maybe two weeks from now? Can we get one of those rooms with a tub shaped like a champagne glass? Caitlin laughed. I've always wanted to try one of those. I'll see what I can do. Although the restaurant was bustling with the lunchtime crowd, their corner table was isolated in a silent bubble. An awkwardness hung over the table. Brad toyed with his food, using his fork to push it around the plate. About these letters, he said. Caitlin set her fork down. It clinked against the plate a bit louder than she wanted. Do we have to talk about this again? Again? We've barely talked about it at all. You always shrug it off like it's nothing. Caitlin folded her arms and glared at him. It is nothing. Then why the nightmares? His words rumbled across the table like subdued thunder. The topic wasn't new with them, but Brad had never been as fervent before. Maybe he was just tired. Caitlin furtively glanced around the restaurant to see if anyone was watching. Then she leaned forward and spoke softly. Please, let's not talk about this now. Then when do we talk about it? She opened her mouth to speak, then thought better of it. If she wasn't ready to tell him the truth, then there was nothing she could say to make matters better. She looked down at her meal and jabbed at some lettuce with her fork. The shallows was weaving its way into her love life like virulent poison ivy. As they crossed the restaurant to leave, Caitlin took hold of Brad's hand, giving it a tight squeeze. They paused just inside the entrance. She leaned toward him and kissed his lips. As she pulled away, something smacked against her shoulder, jostling Caitlin back into Brad's arms. She heard the rough, feminine voice utter apologies as the woman pushed open the door and exited with great haste. Caitlin caught the merest glimpse of chestnut-brown shoulder-length hair as the woman rushed from sight on the busy street. That was rude, Brad said, still holding Caitlin in his arms. You okay? Caitlin eased herself out of his arms. I'm fine. She gazed through the window at the street. The hair on her neck stood up, but she couldn't explain why. There was something familiar, but she couldn't tell what. Was it the woman? Was it her voice? Or was it something else completely? Everything else around her became white noise as deja vu swept over her. It was the hair. She was certain of it. She'd seen it before. Where? the trail, on the bench, earlier in the morning. But could it be the same person? Was she being followed? Kate, you there? She jerked her head around to stare at Brad. What? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. You were off in la-la land for a moment, he said. What's up? Caitlin turned to look out on the street once more. I thought it was nothing. You sure? She nodded. Yeah, let's go. Caitlin grasped his hand, leading him through the door onto the sidewalk beyond. They embraced, and she held him tightly for just a moment longer than usual. His arms around her helped to push away the uneasy feeling the collision had stirred within her. When she pulled away, Caitlin gave him a quick kiss. I'll come over after my show. See you tonight. Four. Caitlin arrived at the WPLX studios just before five, pushed the door open and stepped into the station reception area. She stopped before the high mahogany reception counter. Resting her elbows on it, she leaned over and peered at Samantha Devonport, who was seated on the other side. Her head was tilted down, and her pudgy face was partially obscured by wavy blonde hair. A phone headset hung around her neck, the thin black wire snaked down her shoulder and across the desk to the phone. 
Attention fixated on the National Enquirer open on her desk, the receptionist chewed a piece of gum to the ends of its life. Anything good in there this week? Caitlin said. Sammy's gaze broke from the magazine and shifted to Caitlin. She smiled and flipped the magazine closed. Nah, nothing worth the cover charge. Caitlin rested her chin in the palms of her hands and laughed. She glanced at the cover. An out-of-focus photo with a headline about a Kardashian being caught topless on the beach again. What else is happening? Sammy glanced from side to side, as if checking to make sure no one else was around. Did you hear about Justin? Rumor has it, and this is totally unconfirmed, that he's been having conjugal visits with some young redhead during the overnights. She made air quotes with her fingers around the word conjugal. Caitlin smiled, but wasn't at all surprised. There had been nights when Justin Case had been anxious for Caitlin to leave as soon as her shift had ended, even going as far as to offer to do her production voiceover work for her. Thinking about Justin's description of his latest conquest's offbeat interests, she swallowed a snicker. Really? Michael said he came in early on Thursday morning and saw a woman run down the back hallway. She was buck-ass naked. Caitlin was amused by the image that formed in her mind. Michael Tyler, the morning show host at WPLX, was deeply religious, and she could only imagine how he would have responded to seeing a young pair of naked butt cheeks dashing through the hallways in the wee hours of the morning. He probably shared his indignation with everyone he spoke to, from his morning show co-host Dana Burns, all the way to Scott. Does Scott know? Are you kidding? Sammy said. That's where Mr. Holy Roller went as soon as he was off the air. And? Sammy shrugged. I don't know. Scott hasn't said anything about it. But you know how things work around here. In one ear and out the other, Caitlin snickered, knowing that Scott would make the obligatory call to Justin, give him the cursory hand slap, and forget about it all. Justin might be young and new to the business, but he had raw talent, and that wasn't something a station manager gave up easily. Got any plans this weekend? Gotta get my phone fixed. Got Oreos in the charging port. How'd you... Caitlin stopped and shook her head. Never mind. I don't want to know. You coming to O'Toole's tomorrow night? Not sure. My old man has to work. Caitlin thought it was funny to hear Sammy call her husband her old man. The young woman couldn't be more than 23 and had only been married a little over a year. Caitlin had helped them move into their new Fishtown apartment, which was the first time she'd met Sammy's husband. Meeting him? only confirmed that Sammy wore the pants in their family. You should come anyway. What else are you going to do on a Saturday night? Caitlin said, lifting her arms off the counter. I've got to go prep. See you tomorrow night. As Caitlin passed through the double doors that led to the WPLX offices and studios, she heard Sammy yell, Maybe! I said maybe! Caitlin passed the sales office and production studio, entering the office set aside for the air personalities. The large, open space, nicknamed the Bullpen, featured six office desks in two rows set end-to-end -end across the room. The desks were basic, each with an aluminum frame, drawers, and laminate desktop. Kevin O'Neill looked up from his laptop and gave Caitlin a quick wave from across the room. His caramel-colored hair was brushed back from his forehead, draping down behind his ears. Caitlin halted, staring at the thick strip of white surgical tape that covered his nose. Kevin, what happened? He gave her a tentative smile. Racquetball accident. His voice had a nasal twang to it. Spent half the night in the ER. She tilted her head for a moment. She never knew Kevin played racquetball. Looks painful. Not like it was when it happened. 
The doc said the swelling should go down in 24 hours. The stitches should come out in two weeks. She pointed at the bandage. How long have you got to walk around with that on your nose? He rose from his seat, stepping around the desk. His biceps flexed beneath the sleeves of his polo as he crossed his arms. A few days. Caitlin laughed at the nasal tone in his voice. It's done wonders for your voice. His eyes flashed dark for a moment. It doesn't sound that bad, does it? She crossed the room and stopped at the small square shelves that served as mailboxes for the staff. I'm sure no one noticed. Caitlin reached into her mailbox and extracted the latest copy of Billboard magazine, two envelopes, one white and one manila, and a compact disc. The label on the CD said it contained new jingles and commercials for Walmart. She slid the CD back into her mailbox. She'd enter them into the computer later. Caitlin rolled up the magazine and slipped it under her arm. Then she glanced at the two envelopes. The return address of the white envelope was a local charity, probably looking for free publicity. Caitlin shuddered when she glanced at the manila envelope. She'd seen the hand-printed label numerous times before, and she knew what she'd find within it. She leaned back against the nearby desk. The envelope trembled in her hand. Kevin crossed the room and stepped behind her. She felt his warm breath on her neck as he looked over her shoulder. He reeked of stale cigarette smoke, and she tried not to cringe. Anything the matter? he said. Caitlin's loss of composure was only momentary, and she smiled, sliding the envelope under her arm with the magazine. She turned to find him standing inches from her, just a tad too close to be comfortable. She stepped back. It's nothing, just junk mail. Kevin gazed at her for a moment, shrugged his shoulders, and returned to his desk. Once seated, his fingers danced across the laptop keyboard. Caitlin moved to her desk at the opposite end of the office and set down the mail she'd just collected. Anti-dedication tonight? Kevin stopped typing and glanced across the office. Yep, said Caitlin, pulling open the lower left drawer of her desk. What are you using this week? Caitlin smiled as she lowered her leather purse into the drawer. Jay Giles band. Love stinks? Nice one. Caitlin pushed the desk drawer closed. Glad you approve. As Kevin returned to his typing, Caitlin lowered herself into her desk chair and slid the manila envelope across the desktop until it rested before her. A chill crept up her spine. Her eyes traced the black ink of each letter on the address label. The pinpoint lines were straight and sharp, the curves and corners precise. The same handwriting on every one of these envelopes she'd received over the past month. She took a deep breath and slid her fingers along the top edge to break the seal. The sheet of paper within was folded, just as all the others had been. Laying the paper flat on the desk, her eyes danced over the random magazine clippings that made up the message. Although the clippings were different this time, the words were not. Play Ario Speedwagon for me. You know the song. The Shallows. In an instant, she was there, standing by the water's edge, watching a flashlight sweep over the water's surface. A frantic search in the darkness that she knew would yield nothing. A fan letter, said Kevin. Caitlin whirled around, startled by his voice. She hadn't heard him approach her desk. She refolded the letter, trying to hide its message. He leaned in over her shoulder. His breath was hot on her neck again. It sent a shiver along her spine. Just some crank, she said. He lifted the letter from between her fingers. She didn't have time to resist and bit her lip as he gave the message a quick review. Ario Speedwagon, 
Whoever it is, they've got no taste in music. There's nothing wrong with Cronin and company, she responded, as she tried to put some space between them, glad to latch on to a conversation about music. Ah, dreaded love mush. Kevin dismissed her comment with a wave of his hand as he tossed the letter back on her desk. That's not true. What about take it on the run? Or keep on loving you? They had some great stuff in their heyday. Pish posh. I can't think of a worse batch of songs than the crap they turned out in the 80s. He gestured toward the letter. But if someone goes to all that trouble to make a request, you'd better play it for them. Kevin crossed to his desk. He grabbed his coat off the back of the chair. I've got to go. Have a good show. He reached the office door and paused. I'll be listening for REO tonight. Then he disappeared through the door. She watched him leave, glad to be alone for a few minutes. She glanced at the unfolded letter, rereading the words. She knew the song. REO Speedwagons. Can't fight this feeling. It had been their song. Who could possibly know the connection between that song and the shallows? Who the hell was sending these letters? Caitlin gathered up the letter and crossed the room to the office shredder. A few moments later, the letter was gone. And from Robbie to Pookie, I still hate you. Here's tonight's WPLX anti-dedication. Love stinks, Caitlin said. She slid her headphones off as the song began to play. It had been the longest anti-dedication she ever remembered having to read out. She glanced at her notepad. The list of names almost reached the bottom of the page. She tore off the sheet, crumpled the paper into a ball, and tossed it at the trash can by the door. It bounced off the wall and landed a foot from its intended target. She stared out the studio window, gazing across the Philadelphia skyline. It always amazed her how many people called to express their hate for someone with the anti-dedication song. The Friday night feature on her show was growing in popularity. Soon, she wouldn't have time to read all dedications. So much for the city of brotherly love. All the request lines were still blinking. Listeners trying to get in a last-minute message for the anti-dedication, no doubt. Caitlin ignored the flashing green lights. Her head bobbed to the music's beat. She glanced at the clock. A few minutes after ten. Leaning forward, she answered one of the blinking phone lines. Is it too late to get my name in for the anti-love song? Said a young-sounding voice probably a teenager. It is. Sorry, replied Caitlin. She heard the abrupt click as the caller hung up. Snickering, she reached to answer the next blinking line. Hello, WPLX. Hey, babe. Caitlin smiled at the sound of Brad's voice. Oh, I'm glad it's you. Far too many scorned lovers out there tonight. That's why I called. I wanted to bring a little love into your otherwise loveless evening. Caitlin giggled. How are you planning to do that? By telling you that I've got a chilled bottle of Chardonnay awaiting your arrival. You are still planning to come over. Caitlin's heart fluttered at the thought. A bottle of wine and Brad. She couldn't think of a better combination. She glanced at the computer screen to keep tabs on how much time she had before the next song. Of course, I wouldn't miss out on a good glass of wine. And good company, I hope. She laughed. Well, if I have to be in good company to get my glass of wine. She heard Brad sigh. She loved teasing him. I could just leave the bottle at the front desk. You could pick it up on your way home, he said. Caitlin imagined the feigned pout on his lips. Then she imagined kissing them, and her heart skipped a beat. I should be there by one. There was a moment of silence on the phone, and Caitlin wondered if he'd hung up. He hadn't. 
Did you get another letter? Caitlin wanted to ignore his question. She didn't want to worry him any more than he already was. He'd offered a dozen times to come to the station after her show and escort her home. She refused again and again, claiming the impracticality of the idea made it a foolish gesture. She played down the importance of the letters and told him he needed his sleep more than she needed to be chauffeured to and from work. Yeah, she finally said. Damn it, Kate, he said. You've got to tell someone. Please, let's not talk about this now. I want to enjoy that bottle of wine. And I want to enjoy it with you. He sighed. Fine. But we need to talk. If not now, sometime this weekend. He was frustrated. She could hear it in his voice. She couldn't keep putting off this discussion for much longer. Okay, but not tonight. Let's talk about it later this weekend. To her relief, he agreed. I'll head over as soon as I'm off the air, she said. Good. I'll be waiting. There was a click as Brad hung up. Caitlin gazed out the window at the lights of the Philadelphia skyline. The swirling and flickering colors soothed her anxious mind. Every time she thought about how long she'd been dating Brad, two years, she was amazed. She'd made a conscious decision to steer clear of long-term relationships ever since high school. Ever since the shallows. Growing up, her dream was to have a family. Perhaps a couple kids. But after the shallows, she decided, no, was compelled to relinquish those dreams. Her guilt would not allow her to ever be happy. She touched her upper arm and traced the scar that ran down to her elbow. It had faded over time, but she could still feel it. She closed her eyes and could almost see the rusted nail that had caught her arm years ago. Like Hester, the mark served as Caitlin's scarlet letter, a constant reminder of her shame and regret. Moving from city to city every year or so had never been conducive for romantic involvement. At least, that was her excuse when any man wanted to get serious. When she'd returned to the Philadelphia area, Caitlin had intended to continue her self-imposed embargo on serious relationships. Casual dating with little to no attachment had been fine by her. Then she'd met Brad. They'd met at a black-tie event for the Philadelphia Auto Show. Caitlin had been broadcasting live from the event at the convention center. During a break, she wandered over to a small display of classic motorcycles. While she admired a Harley-Davidson WLA from World War II, Brad stepped up to the velvet rope and stood a few feet from her. His gaze never wavered from the forest green motorcycle. He gestured with the champagne glass he was holding. My grandfather rode one of those in the war. Caitlin glanced at him and gave his black suit a quick once-over. The sharp creases down his pant legs were immaculate. His white shirt looked overly starched, but the knot in his bow tie had come undone. She laughed. Let me fix that. She turned, then reached up and retied his bow tie. That's better. Brad, surprised by her sudden adjustment to his wardrobe, touched the straightened tie, then smiled. Thanks. I'm rubbish at these things. Caitlin returned his smile and extended her hand. Caitlin Ash. He looked out of place and uncomfortable in his tux. Her forwardness seemed to catch him off guard. Uh, what? My name? And you are? He took hold of her hand and shook it. Brad. Uh, Ludlow. Brad Ludlow. She giggled. Nice to meet you, Brad, uh, Ludlow, Brad Ludlow. He stared at her for a long moment, a perplexing look in his eyes. Uh. With another smile, she said, it's a joke. From there, the conversation became more relaxed. 
Brad explained that he'd come as part of an entourage from his law firm, one of the sponsors of the event. He wasn't a big gearhead, but he was enjoying himself nonetheless. Their small talk turned to flirting and continued through the remainder of the evening, interrupted often whenever Caitlin needed to go back on the air. By the end of the night, they'd exchanged phone numbers with the prospect of having dinner sometime in the near future. Caitlin's heartbeat quickened at the memory, and she calculated how long before she would be with him at his apartment. A couple hours at most. For the first time since high school, she was willing to admit that she was in love. She'd opened herself up to him, allowing Brad to become a part of her life in ways that she'd never allowed anyone else before. Well, almost anyone. Brad made her happy. And made her forget. Maybe he's the one. Maybe there was a family in her future after all. As the song ended, Caitlin played a station ID and then leaned forward to answer another request line. Hello, WPLX, she said. The voice was a distorted whisper. Play REO Speedwagon for me. You know the song. Caitlin jabbed at the button to hang up. She clenched her hands into fists as she turned to look out across the cityscape. But the mesmerizing view could no longer quell her growing hysteria. I don't know about you, but never again will I be able to listen to REO Speedwagon without looking over my shoulder. In episode two, things get so scary that Caitlin reaches out to the police after all and meets Detective Rodney Shapiro. I can't wait. Can you? So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All of our books are also available in print and ebook formats on CamCatBooks.com or wherever books are sold. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Also, check out our interviews with authors, editors, and other bookworms and our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.